Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Let's hit it! Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Here we go. What you think about. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm thrilled that you can join us today. We're going to learn about an initiative called the Alzheimer's Disease Caregiver Support Initiative. And um, personally, I hadn't heard of it before, so I'm really excited to learn more about that. But first, I always want to welcome uh, people to the show. We always get new listeners from around the world. So if you're not familiar with Alzheimer's Speaks, uh, bottom line, I started um, – started this show because my mother lived with the disease for 30 years, and I thought it was really important to connect people to services, products, and tools around the world that could support them. So welcome, and feel free to to share our episodes. We've been doing this since 2011, so you can go back into our archives forever. Um, also, if you liked our opening music, it's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band, and you can download that on any of your favorite music platforms. I do want to um, just let people know, too, we have updated our main site, alzheimerspeaks.com. We have one whole page that is full of educational resources that's really easy to click on from the radio show to dementia chats and memory cafes and and so much more. So go to the site to, to find out about that. Also, um, we do a couple of support groups. One is Arthur's Memory Cafe that is held the second and the fourth Wednesday of the month at 1 p.m. Uh, Central Time. Anyone in the world is welcome to join us. We do do that virtually. And then the Caregiver Connect program, if you're in Minnesota, around the Shoreview area, uh, Brookdale North Oaks sponsors this, and I facilitate the group. Um, we meet the last Wednesday of the month, so that actually is tomorrow at 10 a.m. And uh, what else can I tell you? With that one, there's also respite care, so that's that's really nice to have that type of support there. Um, I want to give a shout out to Dementia Map. If you haven't checked that out, please do so. There you will find all kinds of <clears throat> great resources, again, around the world to support you and what you do. A um, couple more things. Artist Senior Living is sponsoring a program I'm going to be doing that's open to the public called Realities of Dementia, and that is about giving you family-friendly tools. That'll be a, a virtual webinar Tuesday, September 20th, um, 6.30 to 7.30 Eastern Time. And you can go ahead and register that by going to theartistway.com webinar. And if you're in Minnetonka, Minnesota, on October 30th, I'll be doing a film screening and talk back of the timeless love. If you have any questions, you can always uh, reach me at radio at alzheimerspeaks.com. We're going to hear from the Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner, and we'll be right back to talk with our guests. I love the footbar walker, and let me tell you why. It is the option for my toolbox that I've been waiting for. Let's be honest. There are some clients who, despite our best rehab efforts, just aren't able to return to performing a sit-to-stand transfer on their own. Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. 
I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. Whether it's a family caregiver at home helping a loved one with Parkinson's or dementia, CNAs in a long-term care facility assisting their patients, or therapists adapting to client and caregiver-specific needs, we now have a very safe and effective option to offer in the Footbar Walker. Check this product out at thefootbarwalker.com. That's it for today from Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Have a great day, and don't forget, if you can't do it, adapt it. Well, we are back, and it's time to learn more about how we can support families dealing with dementia and grief. Did you know that National Grief Awareness Day is today, August 30th? And, um, you know, there are so many different days out there. It's hard to keep up. But this is such an important one because grief is a big element when you are dealing with any form of chronic illness, and especially with dementia, not only for those diagnosed, but for their care partners. So today I am pleased to be talking with Valerie Drown. She is the project director for the Alzheimer's Disease Caregiver Support Initiative. And she has been working with individuals who have dementia and their caregivers for nearly 20 years. And she is personally a sandwich caregiver herself. So welcome, Valerie. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. How are you, Lori? I am. I'm doing good. We've got the Minnesota right. Fair going on here, and nice. uh, our our weather is holding out. So that's kind of, that's kind of sweet. But it's that's also, all you can ask for. Yeah, it's also a sad end to the summer, which we're going to miss. They always mm. seem so short. But I'm so thrilled that you had time to uh, to take with us today. Um, before I get into my line of questioning, I always like to ask if you've been personally touched within your own family or circle of friends by any form of dementia. So I am a caregiver. Um, when I was 13 years old, my grandmother passed away from Alzheimer's disease. So that kind of formed who I am and how I wanted to proceed forward. So then I have always focused my employment around helping people with dementia. Um, My uncle, who was like a father to me, he died in 2020 with vascular dementia and Alzheimer's disease. My mother currently has Lewy body, and we are looking for nursing home placement. And my son has autism and about six mental health diagnoses that we've been struggling with for years. So I'm a caregiver on both sides. True sandwich. Oh, my gosh. You, uh, yeah, you were in the thick of things from all different angles. And it's kind of surprising, I think, too, how much overlap there is, and yet there's so much difference between, you know, when you're caring for different dynamics. Um, Have you found that as well? I have. Um, In fact, my husband and I have made comments about sometimes the way my son speaks and now the way my mother speaks. Um, it, there, there seems to be just this um, same dialect they use. Um, they go back to uh, very pragmatic ways of thinking rather than being able to read in or understand expressions. So um, it's very interesting, very difficult. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, let's talk about the Alzheimer's Disease, Disease Caregiver Support Initiative. What is mm-hmm. it and when did it start? It's very exciting. So this is in New York State. So we are in our second round of grant funding. It's funded by New York State Department of Health. And the goal of the initiative is to reduce caregiver burden associated with caring for an individual with Alzheimer's disease or another type of dementia. Um, So our goal is to strengthen the caregiver through resources, support, assistance, with the result of delayed institutionalization. So our first round of funding started in 2016, and we were given $7.5 million to assist caregivers in six counties in what we call the North Country, so the very eastern um, part of our New York state. Um, So during the first round of funding, we were able to serve 6,068 caregivers who were in need of support. So to me, 6,000 in this small rural area of New York state um, was absolutely wonderful. Um, So then we applied for the second round that came out, and we were awarded again. 
and they increased our funding to $8.25 million, but they added in the goal that they wanted us to reach underserved populations. So we defined our underserved as rural and economically disadvantaged, and so within our six counties, we have two counties, Essex and Hamilton counties, that are underserved based on their population size, and we have another county, Franklin County, that's underserved due to low socioeconomic status. Um, so through our program, we offer ongoing care management. We offer Project Lifesaver in collaboration with our local sheriff's departments in each county. We have support groups in education in collaboration with the Northeastern New York Alzheimer's Association. We have caregiver wellness programs where we focus on trying to maintain health and wellness of caregivers. We provide respite, which is so needed, especially in our area. Um, memory cafes, and another program called Music and Memory. So we want caregivers to have as many resources as possible and provide wraparound support. Um, so we're consistently referring to our local offices of the aging. We have a center of excellence in Alzheimer's disease in Glens Falls, New York, where we focus on clinical services and the Alzheimer's Association, which offers a wide range of services, including the 24-hour helpline, because as most of us know, crises takes, ha takes place when offices are not open. So that's kind of the caregiver support program in short form. That's a, that's a lot. Um, it's it exciting is. that you've gotten that much money uh, yeah. to really, you know, make, make a difference. Families are in such such great need. Um, I love that you're working with Project Lifesaver. I think that that is, is so helpful. I do want to ask one question really uh, quick, and that has to do with respite. How did you guys do during COVID? And, you know, was that shut down for a while with that? Mm -hmm. And then are you back up and running at this time? We are. We only, so our services, we went remote for I think it was four months, and then we came back into the offices, and as long as people were comfortable and restrictions were loosened a little bit, we were doing in-person. Um, as far as our respite goes during COVID, our biggest difficulties were for those caregivers who were utilizing agency services. So if they had day programming, the day programs were shut down, and mm -hmm. so those caregivers all of a sudden had – increased responsibilities again, so work became very difficult for those caregivers. Um, getting a break became difficult. Uh, we were still sending in independent providers as long as the caregivers were comfortable, and um, so our respite program didn't really suffer. I mean, there were reduced numbers, obviously, but um, it was more so with the agencies that shut down, so the day programs, social and medical model day programs. Well, that's fantastic because I, 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 you know, people would just call me hysterical going, I don't know mm -hmm. if I'm going to die or they're going to die before we see one another. I mean, there was such great fear yeah. and not being able to see their loved one, um, you know, if they were placed and then if they were at home, um, not having any, any form of respite because everything was shut down. And to this day, I still see, you know, so much uh, still shut down. And out yeah. of business, and uh, you know we, we've got to do we've got to do better. So, um, thank you for sharing that. Let's talk a little bit about um, National Grief Awareness Day, because you know so many people refer to um, Alzheimer's disease as the long goodbye, which mm -hmm. which drives me personally bonkers. <laughs> that when mm -hmm. my mom lived with it for for thirty years, and I still can't call it that. Um, but I know many, many do out there, you know, when they're watching their loved ones, you know, slowly progress through this disease. There's so, there's so many losses on so many different levels. Is there a name for this type of grief that, you know, when you're, when you're grieving someone who is still alive, but, you know, you, you feel this just significant loss for them? I think I've always just called it grief. Mm -hmm. I, I, there is no other way to put it. There's no good acronym for it. It's just plain grief. Um, it's the struggle of seeing somebody that once was so vibrant 
um, you know, my mother was a retired, she was a nurse. She was a registered nurse, and she always had her stuff together, and she was always in charge, took charge. Um, and now I see where she can't manage her own world. She doesn't remember who I am. Um, she doesn't understand any medical term. She thinks she's still working. She's talking about care planning. Um and actually having Alzheimer's disease was her biggest fear because it was her mom that died of Alzheimer's disease. So it's seeing the the vibrant person that you once knew turn to have the look of, um, I, I, this probably isn't a nice way to put it, but, you know, it's the lights are on, but they're just not with you. And she has a look to her eyes where she is alive, but she's not living. Mm-hmm. So... That's that's how um, that that's how I see it as the grief for people is just that change in the person you knew to the person they are now. But I use that to then say, but I look for ways that I can still make memories with my mom, even though they're only memories for a moment. They're memories with my mom, and that's what I look to do each time I visit her. Oh, uh, that's. That's the attitude I always had too. With it, I will mention um, for our listeners, uh, there's a there's a woman. In fact, she's from Minnesota here, Pauline Boss. I don't know if you're familiar with her um, or not, Valerie, but she uh, she's written a lot of books on grief, and one of them is called The Myth Myth of Closure: Ambiguous Loss. And her most recent one, I think, was Ambiguous Loss in the Time of the Pandemic. But she's done stuff on caregiver grief, um, dementia specific. And um, she's just exceptional. Um, mm-hmm. and, and she was working also with the Duet Foundation on doing doing some programming that really helped people kind of process that that as well. Um, yeah. You know, grief is just it's such a difficult thing, and the, the pandemic has you know just kind of set a flare up in the air. <laughs> You know, with yeah, it, yeah. Um, because everyone has felt it through the pandemic in one fashion or another. Um, sure. Now, I, I know a lot of people talk that there are different stages and types of grief. Um, what What are your thoughts on that? Um, and, and I know what I've what I've heard uh, from people going through this. Uh, they say it's sure. a, they, they say it's a, it's a different grief than your typical grief group. It is. So I I can give the standard answer to start with, which is, so the Alzheimer's Association has a great resource out there, and it's titled Caregiver Grief, Mourning, and Guilt. Um, So if you haven't had a chance to look at that or read that, you can go to their website, and it's alz.org. So they list the stages, and it's denial, anger, guilt, sadness, and acceptance. So now I'll give my answer, which is, (laughs) speaking through the lens of a caregiver, I have felt every one of those things on the list. I have fluctuated between them. I've gone back and forth. Um, Sometimes I get stuck in a stage for a period of time, and then I move either forward or backward. And it's my belief that when we mourn for someone who's still alive, the process is longer. Um, So as the individual with dementia declines, the process continues. So my goal as a caregiver is to look back and believe that I've done absolutely everything I can without regret, but that comes with a lot of pressure. Um, So not only am I going through the stages all the time, fluctuating back and forth, and I will tell you acceptance is the most difficult one for me. Um, It it puts that pressure on me to constantly be functioning at my 150%, which is where the burnout comes in. Um, so overall, I like the stages. I just think that for caregivers, I think we fluctuate a lot based on whatever situation that we're in or where our loved one is in the stage. Um, it just takes a long time. It's exhausting at best. Yeah. Yeah, I I would agree with you on that. Um, One of the things that I found, you know, I I work a lot with the memory cafes and here Mm -hmm. in our, um, in Roseville, Minnesota, we have a a dementia friendly group and, you know, we developed um, a group called uh, for, what is it? Former 
Dementia Caregivers um, Reentry Program because mm-hmm. when you're going through this loss, and you can you know you can be part of this group at a lot of different stages, um, from you know just struggling at home, maybe still living together, to somebody who um, has their person in an adult day program, you know, respite program to moving into a community to actual, actual passing. And it was really interesting because when we asked our, we were seeing a need for, for something kind of after the memory cafe for people. And um, they, they were very specific and said, we don't want a typical eight week grief group. This mm-hmm. is different because we're going to be left all alone again after we go through that eight weeks. And and so the um, the former dementia caregiver reentry program is really kind of set up like a memory cafe where it's, it's about community, it's about sharing, and it's about their specific needs. Um, with with slight guidance and support from the from the facilitator, but they feel so lost. Um, on so many levels, and yet need people who understand what it is they're going through. And so we found that kind of fascinating. I know Warren. I'm, I'm not. I'm not very active in the group anymore with my schedule, but I know he's in the process of writing a workbook to help other other people start something like that. And and when you mentioned about, gosh, I've been through all of those stages, and it is it's so fluid, and you never know when when you're going to kind of get nudged by one of them and they can kind of hit you really hard, really fast sometimes. And you're like, well, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm right there, right there with you. Um, I also love that you mentioned the Alzheimer's Association hotline number. So many people have found such great support in being able to access that and, and talking with a professional. And I wasn't aware of their, um, grieving and uh, their caregiver um, grieving uh, mourning and guilt uh, paper. I think that sounds really interesting to, to read that article. So thanks for mentioning that. What are sure. some of the, what are some of the coping mechanisms that you recommend for care partners dealing with, you know, all, all these emotions that are swirling in their, in their heart, mind and body. Sure. So coping skills, they really vary um, in these difficult and overwhelming situations that we're in. Um, so I will only speak to the ones that I've had to use or that I use myself. Um, and I'll, I'll give just a touch more detail so that you understand or so that the listeners understand. So through all of these situations with dementia that I've had experience in, when I talk about my son, So my son tried to kill me in 2018 by putting a rope around my neck. So when I talk about coping mechanisms and in this next section where I'm talking about what has worked for me, it is truly out of heartbreak and through um, overwhelming situations that I've been in that I've had to use these strategies because normally I'm a pull-up-my-bootstraps kind of girl But when you are overwhelmed on both ends, so a child who is so severely ill, and then the the changing in your family members in a disease that eventually will take them, it, it has been a very difficult walk for me. So I say that these coping skills are the ones that I've used, and I just wanted to put it in perspective um, as far as how I'm going to attempt to explain what I use. Sure. So I rely on humor. I am a sarcastic and funny individual. I love humor. And my mom can say some very funny things, sometimes because she's not putting her words together correctly. Sometimes she realizes it. Sometimes she doesn't. And her and I will have a little bit of a snicker that will only last for a moment, but it's funny. So my sister and I laugh together afterward, not in the sense of making fun of her, but we're just putting a later spin on what we're both going through together. Um, so that is one of the skills, is if you can, coping skills, is if you can find something funny to laugh at, go ahead and laugh. It releases all of those endorphins in our body that we need in order to keep our mental health. Um, compartmentalization. I've had someone tell me that I am the queen 
of this coping skill. And oftentimes we think of it as a negative. <laughs> but I'm going to spin it to a positive. So actually it's defined as a defense mechanism in which people mentally separate conflicting thoughts, emotions, or experiences to avoid discomfort. But for me, I think of it as there are boxes in my brain. So when I'm working, I keep as many other boxes closed that I can. So any worries related to my son or my mom, those boxes need to be closed so I can be productive. When I'm with my mom, I close my work box. So there are times when I have to switch gears when there's an emergency with my mom or my son during the day so I can open the boxes that need to be opened. If all my boxes are opened at the same time, I wouldn't be able to manage my world because I'd be overwhelmed and unproductive. If I close all the boxes at once, I'm not allowing myself to feel, and it won't help me process my world. So for me, compartmentalization is the way I'm able to open and close boxes in my brain to manage what I need to get done to be productive and try to be successful in my caregiving. So that works for me. Um, the 10-minute pity party. I allow myself a 10-minute pity party when I need it. So that 10-minute pity party allows me to sit in my feelings um, for a time, and it allows me to feel whatever is on my heart. Now, I can't stay at the party because that wouldn't be healthy, but I allow myself to attend the party, and then I graciously leave after 10 minutes. So I think each caregiver may have a different amount of time that they give themselves, but I find that the 10 minutes works for me so that I can then get myself going again. The other strategy that's worked for me is learning a new activity. So if when my son, my son after he tried to kill me, he, um, the psychiatrist said he had to go into residential placement. So um, I lost my purpose. I didn't understand what my purpose in the world was because I had been focusing my purpose around helping others. And all of a sudden I had lost somebody that I needed to care for. So... If I do an activity that I've done for years, my brain can totally focus on the stressors of my life. But if I take up a new activity, my brain is required to learn. So it's too busy learning, and it can't focus its energy on the dwelling. So I took up sewing. Um, I, I didn't know the first thing about sewing, not at all. But I decided to ask around, and I found a ladies' home bureau in my area, and I just showed up one night when they were open, and I said, I'm looking for some help. So these ladies completely took me under their wing, and they supported me in my new little adventure. And I looked forward to those evenings where I could only focus on the task at hand rather than on my sadness. So those are the coping skills, the positive coping skills that worked for me. And I will say that the negative coping skills are what often people focus their attention on. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I am Joe, wonderful caregiver. So during all of this, my husband turned to alcohol for his coping skill, which then resulted in a 33-day rehab stay. So in the midst of all of this caregiving on both sides for me, then my husband had to go away. And I was dealing with everything on my own. So what we have to do is we try, we forgive ourselves for the things that we don't do right. And we try to focus on making small changes in our world for the positive, to work on those positive coping skills that can help us get us, get us through each day. Wow, I, I appreciate you being so vulnerable and sharing all of that. Um, for our listeners, again, if you want to call in, feel free if you've got any questions or maybe you have some additional um, coping skills that are positive that you want to share, uh, you can call into 323-870-4602. That's 323-870-4602. Um, when you mentioned humor, I, it just made me smile because – uh, that was one with my mom we used a ton of. And yet mm -hmm. so many people on the outside look at you sometimes like, well, that's not right. You shouldn't be laughing. This is serious. And, and it's like, hello. <laughs> Laughter is one of the greatest gifts in any relationship. It's, yeah. it's one of the most wonderful memories that you'll have 
why would you shut that down? I mean, and like you said, it, you know, it, it physically makes changes in the chemistry of our body to, to help us better cope. So, I mean, I, I can name a thousand different things where I would get the side eye by somebody. And one time it was even my husband who's like, this isn't funny. This is serious. And my mom was roaring. I was laughing. My oh, daughter yeah. was laughing. And we had to keep her relaxed and in the zone or we weren't going to budge an iota on where we needed to do, you know, where we needed yep. to go yep. to get her up. She had fallen and stuff. Um, when you talked about, com- um, com- I can't, no, I'm not going to be able to say it. I'm going to trip over my words. Compartmentalizing, um, you know, other words for that might be, you know, living in the moment. And, mm-hmm. you know, my mom taught me that as well, or dementia did. Like the other stuff will still be there when you're done. Just, mm-hmm. just be, just be with me. And I had a really hard time, like turning off my phones and. Back then, my pagers, and you know, I was kind of the queen of multitasking, and prided myself on being able to do that. And it was like, and then I was pulled into this single lane, and yet it was so much more rewarding, got so much more done, felt so much better in terms of doing that because you were you were really present, and you you knew. I guess before I felt guilty because I wasn't tending to everything the way I should, and this way I could tend to one thing at a time, the way I the way I knew would be best. Um, did yeah. you get that sense when you did that as well? Yes, completely. And before I forget, Lori, I want to I want to just say something related to what you've said, which is the opinions of others. I think we get so bogged down as a caregiver from the opinions of others the opinions of others who don't understand because they've never walked it yet maybe yet is the key word mm-hmm. but you wouldn't believe the advice or the statements that people have made to me and we can either allow it to tear us down to do the maybe I'm not doing enough maybe I did it wrong or we can use it to educate people, and that is where I go. I go to education because the opinions to me, if you've never walked in this situation, you have no idea the range of feelings I have, the hurt, the pain. There is just no understanding. And so rather than brush them off, I take those opinions and I use it as, an educational point. So mm-hmm. I, I, people make comments to me, and I make sure not to do it in a mean way, but I, I speak from my heart. So when mm-hmm. you say thank you for being vulnerable, this is the only way I know how to be. Um, and so I will say, if there are any callers that want to call in, you can ask me anything, anything, and I will tell you how it's been for me. Um, but again, I'm only speaking from my experience. But um, Please, I'm happy to to be vulnerable. Yeah, that's how I am too. That's how I got into this whole mm-hmm. realm. I I never thought I would leave. I loved you know selling real estate for 25 years and mm-hmm. you know had my little niche and was doing really well. But it was like, nope, this is where I'm supposed to be. And exactly. Um, and and I think having that authentic voice and that one that you know accepts everyone's story because everybody's story is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's okay. What what can we learn from that? And I think there's so much pressure for a care partner to be perfect. And it's like, I'm yeah. sorry, but you, but you weren't before the journey. So don't, don't, right. add, that, don't add that to your list now. Come on, be sure. you know, and, but, but we know that there's so many eyeballs, you know, watching us and judging us and, you know, like you said, making comments on things that they don't know. And, and sometimes that can be family and really close friends that, oh, yeah. oh well, I, I stepped in. She seemed fine. What are you talking about? You were there 15 minutes or you were there two yeah. hours. Would you yeah. like a shift? Would you like a 24-hour shift? And and then let's talk. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and yeah. Um, you know, not that you and, – and I don't know about you, but then I got to the point of, God, they don't even trust me anymore. They don't. Yeah. It's like they think I'm lying. 
on what's going on? Would I really be making this stuff up? Uh, You know, that just kind of threw me for a loop with some people, too. Um, So I I think all the things you're talking about are really important. And then when you you mentioned, you know, the the alcohol, some people overeat or they start gambling or shopping or maybe they've done all those things before, but now it's a whole different ball of wax or, you know, having affairs, looking, looking for some sort of peace somewhere outside where they live because they just don't know how to cope. So I, I think it's so important for people to to understand these coping mechanisms. And when you talked about the 10-minute pity party, I mean, it's easy to go down the rabbit hole and not pull yourself mm-hmm. out. And so I, I like the, the 10 minutes. I mean, I've had my screaming matches with God down in the basement mm-hmm. when everybody's gone and the windows are shut. And like, hey, I need a little help here. You know, I am not doing well with this. But one of the things oh, yeah. that I... I found was a good coping mechanism was, um, and it it didn't hit me until I got this kind of angry with God and and the whole situation um, was I learned to ask, what's the lesson? Um, The whole time I thought I was trying to figure out an answer um, to fix it, but I was never asking, what's the lesson? And And what I found was once I started asking, what's the lesson? I, I saw things much clearer. Um, answers came to me faster, and they were good not only for me, but for you know my mom who I was caring for, and to educate others as well in terms of possibilities of how do you how do you switch up this situation? How do you how do you work with it a little bit differently? So, um, thank exactly. you again so much for for bringing that up. Um, sure. Now, many caregivers are dealing with, you know, navigating the stages of the disease and and their grief while they're still working full-time jobs or they're caring for other family members like yourself. What what are some of the biggest obstacles and challenges that these care partners face? And and also, is there a way if they're employed for their employers to help? So, I am a scheduler. I think that that's because so many areas of my life are out of control that the things I can maintain control over, I keep a tight control. So mm-hmm. I have a calendar. And so every day when I get to work, I look at my calendar. Caregiving and working to me is the most difficult with maintaining my schedule. So I plan out my meetings. I have the tasks required that I need to get done. I have my phone calls planned. And then all of a sudden there's a caregiver emergency. And I have to completely switch my gears, and I have to empty my work plate in order to fulfill all those caregiving duties. Now, I work for a wonderful organization. I work for the Research Foundation of SUNY Plattsburgh, and I will tell you that they are extremely flexible with me. Um, I can't imagine the burden that some caregivers are facing um, when they can't just up and leave. I am telling you that my boss, I can send an email that says, I am so sorry, but my mother is having a really bad day and she fell. And the reply would be, you go take care of things. Thank you for letting me know. And so, I mean, a lot of people don't have that same um, response by for their employers. But so in regards to employers, I think they need to offer some sort of flexibility when absolutely possible. So if somebody needs to leave, maybe they can return to work. Maybe they can work a little bit later to make up time. Um, One of the things people will say to me, well, why don't you just use your sick time? Mm -hmm. Well, that's great, but I'm always banking my sick time because I never know when that emergency is going to hit. And I might be out a week or two weeks. And so I'm always preparing as a caregiver for what's my next disaster I've got to get ready for. So it's not that I want to use my sick time to run and check on my mom, who, by the way, lives a half hour from me. So I have to go check on her and then go back to work. Um, So if employers can offer the flexibility, I think that it would allow caregivers to be able to do the things that are important to them because we want to be productive members of society. I love to work. I love my job. I love helping caregivers and people with dementia. I also love my family, and I want to care for both. 
So in order to allow me to be able to feel fulfilled on both ends, I need to have that flexibility as a caregiver. Well, and don't you think, and I don't know, I could be wrong with this, but I think the pandemic brought that out more to people saying, you know, reevaluating their life and reevaluating what work means to them and what they need in a job. And it's not, I mean, money is nice, benefits is great, but flexibility is like a huge, huge demand out there right now. And more and more, and more people are going to be caring for people because I, I know here in Minnesota, I mean, we're starting to see closures of nursing homes, assisted livings, um, all, all different types of things. Um, you know, adult day, you're seeing parents that can't go back to work because there's not uh, child care, you know, for them to be able to go or not at an affordable rate. And so people are really evaluating what is important for them to function at their core. And, um, you know, and they're not willing to give that extra capital away. Uh, they, they just, I mean, you, you only have so many resources as an individual. And, right. and people are really, I think, starting to evaluate mental health. A, a lot more, which I think is a is a really really good thing, you right. know, to be able to do. I, I'm so right. glad to hear that your employer is is flexible. Um, I'd Amazing. love to see more more stepping up um, in that realm. And, you know, you'd love to see more leave available for families. I would love to see more programs in terms of even um, employee assistance programs. Mm-hmm to help mm-hmm. family members with this. And, and I think a lot of them have them, but they don't tap into them. And I think employees are scared to, to say, I need this help because they don't want to jeopardize their job because they know caregivers are kind of categorized too um, sure. and looked at a little bit different. And so there's so many different levels out there in terms of, of needs um, and, and how do you navigate things? I know for me, I, I pushed, you know, my friends away um, because I was too busy. And you had mentioned you're a scheduler. I, um, my brothers would call me an, um, what did they call me? Uh, I called myself an organizer, and, and they were like, "No, you're a control freak." <laughs> so, because because I was like you, I was grasping at everything I could control, yeah. and and I'm like, yet yeah, everything landed on my lap because I was organized. I did know how to schedule. I I, I could get a lot more done than the average bear out there. Yeah. But it's a two-sided, uh, you know, sword. The way people look at it, depending on what it is they want out of the situation. Anyways, that's what I've found. I don't know if you've found that as well. I have, and our world becomes very small as caregivers. And if it is a choice for me between going out and socializing with my friends or taking a hot bath and reading a book before bed, I'll pick the book and the bath any day of the week. Um, Because of that exhaustion and that feeling of, just overwhelming fatigue it's just i our world becomes very small and as we've said before we want people who understand us and a lot mm-hmm. of my friends don't understand this and so you know not for their lack of trying it's also on my part as well but i've made my world small yeah well it, it I, and i get that making your world small because it's it's more controllable. There's it's, mm-hmm. there's less less drama. You got enough going yep. on. And the more people you mm-hmm. have in your circle, the more potential there is for that. And you, you just don't ha- you just don't have it to give. So I totally understand that. And I think a lot of people are going through that even now, just with the world being so crazed. I mean, sure. uh, how many how many people do you know that don't even put on the news anymore because they can't. Mm-hmm the overload and if you yes. you know you add the state of affairs of of our country or the world at large on top of you know feeling overwhelmed from you know being a care partner or maybe a person living with a, a chronic illness you know that's that's devastating to people yes. because you're cutting one more circle out of their norm, mm-hmm. you know, for them that they used to rely on on that. Um, yeah. Gosh, I can't believe how much, how fast the time is going. We've got about 15 <laughs> minutes left, um, but this is a, a great conversation with you. Now, 
I want to get your opinion about early diagnosis. Do you think it's important um, for someone uh, who has some symptoms, uh, potentially dementia, to go in and get diagnosed? And, and if so, what do you think are the benefits not only to them but to their care partner? I do think it's important. I think it's it, that early diagnosis, it helps the family with processing through um, education. It helps with lining up resources, whether you're ready for the resources or not. You still get yourself lined up with them um, and getting affairs in order. So going back to the stages of grief, if a caregiver gets stuck in denial, they're often entering into the referral system during a time of crisis. And crisis is not the time to be looking for services because service implementation takes time. So where do people end up? Emergency room. So if we can reach caregivers prior to crisis, then planning can take place. So, for example, Project Lifesaver, because you mentioned, you know, that you, you like this service. So Project Lifesaver is often denied by people. And their reason is, and I'll use dad as an example, dad hasn't wandered yet. yet. Mm-hmm. If we wait until crisis when dad has wandered, there's no system in place, and we become more reactionary. So that diagnosis will help caregivers understand what to expect, um, what is possible, and how to deal with the setbacks that come throughout dementia. For the person with dementia, it helps them, it empowers them with the time to be able to make decisions and making the decisions that will matter to them when they cannot speak for themselves. So I I like the idea of an early diagnosis. I think it's important, and I think it helps families and the individual with dementia get their stuff together. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and you, like you said, you hear that all the time. Well, they are not a wanderer. Well, you don't know they're a wanderer <laughs> until they wander. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I have one woman in my uh, memory cafe group, um, Connie, and she's given me permission to, to share this story. Her husband gave up driving. And, you know, he had dementia. And I think it was six years later, one day, he just woke up and he picked up the keys and Mm. he drove off. Six years later, he never fought it. He never, there was no signs of it. And he, he took the car and he even ran out of gas. And some nice construction guys filled up his tank for him, you know, so he could he could get on his way. And then he was found going the wrong way on a freeway, and the police officer turned him around and let him drive home. And then they, fi- they finally caught up with him. He was gone for, I want to say, six, eight hours and was quite a ways. Um, but, you know, it, it, you just don't know. Um, one other thing that I that I like that is, is – um, inexpensive too. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's called the Call Alert Center. And they have a a section just for for, uh, caregivers. And it's where you can kind of pre-put a flyer together and your your circle of friends. So if something ever happens, they will also work with the police and being able to distribute things out. Because I I mean, I had a friend whose uh, sister wandered and the police were like, well, she's an adult. You know, well, she was in a board and chair, and it was like, you've got to be kidding me. It it was so disorganized, and so it's a way to empower yourself without having to look for a last-minute photo, you know, when you're in the midst of crisis and trying to, you know, get a hold of people, and you know the weight, you know the height, you get that while while it's Mm -hmm. calm because it's preventative, Mm -hmm. and this even works like if you're traveling, um, it'll it goes out to the phone systems and it really is it is something else. People can find that on uh, Dementia Map, and um, you know it's just a wonderful resource. I'd love to see you you guys listed on Dementia Map as well. That's amazing. Um, yeah, it, there's so many cool things out there, and again, people go well, you know, they've got a phone, but if somebody doesn't take their phone with them. You know, or as the disease progresses, you know, those things aren't helpful. Yeah. Um, no. So, yeah, it's 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 difficult. So, yeah, um, hmm. Project Lifesavers is, uh, is a wonderful resource and has a great yeah. success record as well, you it know, does. with that. Um, it does. What was I going to ask you now? Um, if someone is listening and really struggling, you know, as a, as a care partner for somebody with dementia, what advice would you give them? 
So I'd start with reaching out, talk to somebody, um, family members, friends, they're great, but so are professionals who work in the field. Um, professionals like myself, we're able to empathize, but we're also able to be an objective listener. Um, we typically have a really good understanding of the resources that are available. So, you know, reach out. Um, accept help. So I am notorious for not accepting help, um, but instead I like to stretch myself very thin to 150%. Um, <laughs> so here's when I, where I say do as I say and not as I do. So when people offer assistance, take it. Can I bring a meal in? Sure. Can I stop and grab the medicines that you need at the pharmacy? Would that help you? Sure will. Um, I can come over and play some cards with your mom if you want to go out to dinner with your friends. Yeah, that would be great. Um, so, you know, I can take my superhero cape off for a little while and accept some help. Um, think about yourself. It's okay to be real. It's, uh, it's okay to understand what you need in order to maintain your physical and mental health. It's okay to take time to attend your own medical appointments, which, by the way, caregivers, that is what we tend to slack on is our own medical care, um, me included. Um, it's okay to go to the gym or go for a walk by yourself. You're not slacking on responsibilities. You're creating a stronger you, which is what we need to focus on. Um, join a support group. Every dementia story is different, but there are also similarities related to our feelings. Listening to others and sharing your own story helps. Um, maybe you faced a struggle and you found a helpful way of managing. Share it with somebody else. That might be exactly what that person needs in that moment. Um, then the time may come when you're struggling and someone will be there for you. Um, remember, we're all just working to survive in our caregiving world. And then finally, find some time to laugh. Um, it is truly the best medicine, even in the difficulties. Try to end your day with one positive. And sometimes that positive is, I survived the day. Uh, people come up to you, how are you? And you say, good. Well, I've learned that sometimes I say I'm breathing in and breathing out, or I'm surviving. Um, and although some people don't know how to deal with that, it is real for me. And so I am honest in who I am. And I think ending my day with sometimes just saying, I survived the day, yay me. Um, that might be all I've got that day. Um, but trying to find that one positive before you lay your head on that pillow at night. Yeah, I, I think having um, even like a little gratitude book, or that that made such a huge difference for mm -hmm. me. Was uh, And even with our, our memory cafe, when we first started, we, we started out kind of opening up as everyone would go around talking about bummers and blessings. It's okay to talk mm -hmm. about what's not working. This isn't mm -hmm. Facebook and Instagram and TikTok when you're trying to impress everyone that your life is real. Um, and and what you'll find by even joining some of these groups, I don't care if it's, you know, through your organization, through the Alzheimer's Association, a Facebook page, stuff I do. I mean, there's so many things out there. Um, what I hear, and I would imagine you hear and feel this as well, is those conversations are so authentic and so real and mm -hmm. so comforting and so supportive and mm -hmm. so safe. Yeah. And and one of the things that people a lot of times don't feel with on this journey is safe and comfortable. You right. know, they they feel tired and there's distrust and um, you, you have the shame and the guilt and the grief mm -hmm. and all of that. I mean, you can just get, you can just lose yourself, and when you lose yourself, you can't be the best possible care partner to someone else. And so, you know, being able to find um, find that link, find those coping skills, um, talking with others, because you know, even though you might feel you're alone in what you're going through. Um, and maybe your person has Lewy body and somebody else has vascular and someone else has mild cognitive impairment. There's still going to be so many things that you can learn and share. And, yeah. you know, some people have multiple dementias. Um, but I love the, the phrase, you know, when you've met one person with dementia, you've met one. I, I think that we just have to broaden that to expand mm -hmm. it. When you've met one care partner, you've met one. Everybody's experiences and 
resources and resilience are different in their circumstances. And, and then, you know, every environment changes those things as well. So I think Mm -hmm. developing a a toolkit um, is, is the absolute way to go Um, because none of us, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think there's one of us on this earth that are, are a true expert or ever will be because it's, it's like a forever changing situation. There's so many different things to learn. I, I don't know what your thought is about the, the you know, being an, being an expert, but I, you know, I just, I just think that there's too many things coming online. It's impossible for any of us to know all of it. Exactly. Exactly. I, I agree. I always tell people I don't know everything. I know a lot of smart people, though, and I can go start asking questions, but I can't put the pressure of expert on me. That's, mm-hmm. that's too much to add on to my plate. Yep. But I will well, listen. Yeah. <laughs> well, and so often when we do listen, we learn, and that expands sure. our knowledge base. And I think one of the most difficult things in being in this role or being diagnosed, you know, with a chronic illness like dementia is people think that they don't know anything. And what they have to remember is you always know more than somebody else and you'll always know less than somebody else. Exactly. That's not a, to me, that's not a valid excuse to not be part and step up and step in to your own reality um, Mm -hmm. because it will make the journey so much easier for you in the long run and you will help others. And people say all the time, gosh, I I didn't know how much I really learned through this process, you know, but as they hear other people's journeys, they realize, gosh, I've been there. I've done that. You know, maybe this will help you. And and everyone is brainstorming. And then that person is allowed options um, and insights that, gosh, I wish I would have known. I wish I would have had somebody to talk to, um, you know, when we were going through this with my mom in the early stages, there was, there was nothing. And so, um, yeah, very, very important stuff. I'll just add, too, for resources, Alzheimer's Speaks has a free educational and resource page where you can, you can um, find stuff like our dementia chats, where you'll hear from a person with dementia, what are their wants and needs, and what does it feel like to have dementia? And, I mean, we've got all different kinds of conversations and stuff. Um, you can access Dementia Map there as well. Um, but there's there's just tons and tons of, of, of things there. Just like I know on, on your website, which is wehelpcaregivers.com, is loaded with great resources. People can also call your um, 800 number, which is 1-800-388-0199. And uh, they can also find you on Facebook and Instagram at We Help Caregivers. So, Valerie, thank you so much for just such a wonderful, authentic conversation with so many great tips and tools for people to be able to tap into uh, during their journey. I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity. Oh, this was wonderful. I, one more resource, again, I didn't know about. And, again, I'll, I'll reach out to you about Dementia Map because I think you'd be a great fit there um, for people. On that. So again, um, people pass this along, you know, like, click and share. Don't keep information to yourself, you know, know how badly you needed it and what it can do for somebody else. Um, it, it, it can make their day or break their day without, without this knowledge. So be there to lift somebody up. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a wonderful week and we will see you on Thursday where we're talking with Cindy Lezinski uh, with a dementia-friendly group in northern Colorado. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. 
At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.